are the Celtics legit title contenders? And is the East really a race between the Sixers and the defending champ Bucks? When you turn to the West, is there any team in the West that can beat a healthy Phoenix Suns team? And do LeBron James and the Lakers push forward heading into the play-in game? Or do you shut LeBron down? And I'll answer the question about Allen Houston H2O when we come back. Last episode, I asked the question, what type of player would Allen Houston, former Knicks Allen Houston, be in the current NBA? And I got mixed feedback. Some people just said that he'd be a role player. Some people said that he would be a spot-up shooter. And then I told a few of them, you might want to go to YouTube and check out Allen Houston. Now, the perception of Allen Houston, at least when I was watching the Knicks, watching the NBA at the time, was he seemed to be a guy that was always hurt. Allen Houston played 12 seasons in the NBA. And of his 12 seasons, only three did he play less than 76 games. And one of those was the 98-99 strike shortened season in which he and Latrell Sprewell, along with Marcus Camby, led the Knicks to the NBA Finals. Allen Houston's signature moment is hitting that floater against Miami in a Game 7, a game-winning floater. I would say with his skill set, with his shooting ability, at the least, Allen Houston would average 16, 17 points a game in this current NBA. But because Allen Houston wasn't just a catch-and-shoot player, because he had a handle and he could beat guys off the bounce, then factor in the way the game is called. Look, in his career, from 93 to 04-05, he averaged about four free throw attempts. So I'm going to factor in the way the game is currently called to go along with his shooting ability. And remember, he's not a volume scorer. He never was. He had one season in his entire career where he took more than 17 shots. But put him on a team or any team in this current league, and you can run him off picks, you can set screens, or you can ISO him and he can create off the bounce for himself. Allen Houston dropped 55 on Kobe. I would say in this current NBA, he would easily be a 20-plus scorer per game on average. Now, whether or not he'd be a star or, or something like that, I, I don't know. I'm just telling you in terms of production what he would be. Now, if he were put on a team alongside a couple of superstars or all-stars, it would probably elevate him in terms of team success. But as an individual talent, Allen Houston would be an all-star caliber player. When you look at the makeup of the Eastern Conference, the team that's getting all the buzz, and rightfully so, are the Sixers with the combination of Harden and Embiid along with Maxi. Philly looks like a juggernaut right now. And overall, with Miami along with the defending champ Bucks, it seems like a three-team race. But I would say that the hottest team in the East right now are the Boston Celtics. The Celtics have won 14 out of their last 16 games. And Jason Tatum's production 
has elevated. His overall play has elevated. I'm going to have to give some credit to Coach Yudoka. He implemented a new system, more ball movement, less iso ball. And I think it took Tatum, Brown, and company, it took them some time to adjust. Early in the season, the Celtics got off to a rocky start. Jason Tatum was more of a volume scorer, less efficient. Over the last 16 games, he's become more efficient while still putting up big numbers and leading his team to victories. If you've got Tatum, along with Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown playing at a high level, and don't sleep on what Grant Williams can do at the center spot. He's giving you two blocks a game. He's great at rim running. And then you've got a guy like Al Horford, a veteran, still effective, giving you 10 points, eight rebounds. I like the addition of Derek White that gives them more scoring power off the bench. I also like the role players, the guys that do a little bit of everything. Grant Williams of the Celtics. I think Grant Williams is like a young P.J. Tucker. My only question with Boston, it's not what they can do with their talent. I'm wondering about their overall depth. And they're not a big team. And yet, they're ranked third in total defense. So they get after you. I'll say this. I don't think the Celtics quite have enough to win the East. But I do believe they're going to be a tough out. If I was going to favor somebody in the East, you still have to respect and recognize the defending champions. When you've got Giannis having another MVP caliber season, he's giving you 29 points, 12 rebounds, six assists, a block and a steal a game, shooting 55% from the field. And then you've got Chris Middleton, a shot maker and a creator, 20 points a game, five rebounds, five assists, 37% from three. But the guy, to me, that's the key to the Bucks. The guy that makes them from contender to champions, to me, is Drew Holiday. When you have an aggressive Drew Holiday, when Drew Holiday has the ball in his hands and he is aggressive throughout the game, it elevates the entire team. So, yes, you want Drew Holiday making plays and you want him facilitating and doing what he does best, which get after it on defense. But when Drew Holiday is aggressive on offense, and he's shooting a high percentage. This season, he's shooting 50% from the field and 41% from three. When Drew Holiday is that aggressive and that efficient, to me, that's why the Bucks are the team to beat in the East. So I asked the question earlier, is there a team in the West that can beat a healthy Phoenix Suns? And I would say the answer to that question is no. As talented as the young Grizz are, and I'm a fan. I love what they've done. I've loved how they drafted, developed this core. I just don't think they have enough. Or maybe they're just not experienced enough because they still have guys that are developing. As gifted and as great as John Morant is right now, he still has room to improve. That goes for Bain. That goes for everybody on that roster. This is a young core. That's on the verge, but I don't think they're right there yet. When I look at Jaron Jackson Jr., love his ability to stretch the floor. I love him as a weak side defender, but you would want your big to give you more than six rebounds a game. 
he needs to be a little bit more efficient too. He can shoot the three, but he's not an efficient three-point shooter, only 31% from the floor. A healthy Dylan Brooks gives you 18 points a game. They need a healthy Dylan Brooks. I'm looking at DeAnthony Milton, Zaire Williams. They have a lot of young, talented, developing players. Do I think the Grizzlies can give the Suns a series? I think they can. I think they can push them to six games. But if Phoenix is running on all cylinders, when you've got Bridges who can lock down and hit threes, when you've got Devin Booker who can create and drop 25 to 30 on you on a given night, you've got Chris Paul, the point guard. You've got somebody that can drop 15 and give you 11 assists, not to mention still one of the best defenders in the NBA. Ayton has elevated his game. A veteran presence like Jay Crowder, a 3 and D guy. Cam Johnson, who is the best three-point shooter on the Suns. Then Cameron Payne. With Chris Paul out, Cameron Payne has just been dropping double-doubles. Then they can go big with Bismack Biombo. And here's the thing. Nobody ever mentions it. But JaVale McGee, it shouldn't even be on the low. JaVale McGee is one of the best backup centers in the entire NBA. Point blank. JaVel McGee impacts games. When Phoenix is healthy, they're not going to be beaten by any team in the West. There are teams that are having better seasons, but the most talked about team in the NBA is still the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are sitting at 28 and 37th, ninth in the West. They are slated right now for the play-in game. And you're still hearing the, if they get AD back, the Lakers have a puncher's chance to come out the West. No, they do not have a puncher's chance to come out the West. This is a bad team. At best, they might have a puncher's chance to win a first-round series. Yes, we can marvel at LeBron's offensive numbers. He's had a terrific offensive season. But this is a team of bad defenders, and he's one of the worst defenders on the team. And no, I don't see him as a legit MVP candidate because you're not going to put him ahead of Embiid. You're not going to put him ahead of Giannis. You're not going to put him ahead of John Morant. I'm not putting him ahead of Luka. For sure, he's not ahead of the Joker, who, by the way, the Joker has played without his second and third best players the entire season. LeBron had 56. That was impressive. Joker had 46, 14, and 12. More impressive. LeBron is having a terrific season. We should acknowledge it in year 19 that the numbers that he's putting up at this late in his career, yes, that is impressive. But you do not get some kind of AARP discount into the MVP race because you're playing well late into the season when other guys are not just playing better, their teams are winning. And their teams are winning, and they're not loaded. They're just finding ways to win. So when I look at the Los Angeles Lakers, this is a lost season. And yes, you can say Russ was a bad fit for them. They were a bad fit for him as well. They failed him in the locker room and they failed him in the front office. When you've got people making death threats against a player's family, when your own fans heckle you, 
That's a failure. When Magic Johnson says this is the worst trade in Laker history, provided they don't make the playoffs. By the way, Magic, wrong again. The worst trade in Laker history, to my knowledge, is when you traded Shaq. Because right after that, you went from competing for titles to no playoffs and then getting bounced in the first round two years in a row to the Suns. So I'm going to go with Shaq was the worst trade, especially when you look at what you get back in return. Talk to you guys next week. It's the NBA Cypher. Oh, you know, man. Oh, you know, man. Oh, you know.